Welcome to Wyoming Valley Church's podcast with Pastor Todd Walker. Hey everybody, hope everyone's doing well out there today. We're going to podcast today on a topic we looked at this past Sunday on the topic of love. We were looking at James chapter 4 and we were talking about this tug of war between the flesh and the spirit and James brought up how the church was really bad at um, loving one another. And I was a little taken back by that when I first read that because in chapter 1 of James, you realize that these this church is dispersed and scattered because of persecution and they're still following Jesus Christ. But you get to James chapter 4 and James basically says that they're bickering and hating each other and hurting each other. And <clears throat> it's a little confusing to know that Christians, long-tenured Christians, could be uh, enduring through persecution and at the same time uh, still pretty bad at loving each other and still pretty selfish. And today I want to look at what I'm going to call the self-hurdle. The self-hurdle. I never was a uh, much of a runner, so I've never run and jumped over hurdles before, but I have seen them do that in track and field. You know, they'll do a race and there's hurdles and they jump over those. And in the Christian life, which is very much like a race, we have hurdles. <clears throat> and one of those hurdles, unfortunately, is self. We actually have to clear and jump over the self-hurdle if we want to continue to follow Jesus Christ. And the self-hurdle is a pretty big hurdle. So today, what I want to do, instead of just reteaching the passage or continuing the theme of, you know, how bad we are at loving, I want to help ourselves kind of turn the tables on the devil by giving us some things to think about how we can actually clear this self-hurdle and start to live properly according to what Christ has commanded us to do. And so what I want to look at today is a few things, few obstacles, hurdles, if you will, of self that get in the way of us loving one another. And I don't want to look at these as like beat us down, like, oh, we're really bad at this. We should just stop doing this. I want to actually help us overcome these hurdles by thinking about them properly and giving us some things to, to use practically to, to clear these self-hurdles and get over these so we could follow Jesus the proper way. So I have five things, five reasons that we don't really love other people and they all have to deal with ourselves things that we're dealing with in our own lives so and there's passages of scripture that deal with these uh, very clearly so what i'm going to do is i'm going to look at each one of these one by one and look at the passage of scripture that pertains to it so if you hear me pause during this it probably means because i'm looking up the scripture so we can read it together number one self-hurdle that i've noticed is that people say if i love others I won't have what I need. That's a common self-hurdle. That if I don't, excuse me, if I want to love other people, then I won't have what I need. So love is almost too risky. Like, I wish I could love, but I don't have enough money and time and energy to do so. And if I, and if I give up those things, I'm not going to have what I need. And then, you know, we're basically tearing down one kingdom while we build up another. Why would, why would I do that? Why would the Lord want me to do that? Why would he want me to hurt myself in efforts to help someone else? So one of the reasons we don't do that is because of that. We don't, we don't think we'll have enough of what we need. Well, there's this passage in Philippians 4 that I want to look at that helps us clear this self-hurdle because Paul brings this up and he's bringing it up in his encouragement to a church. And I just want to read Philippians 4 verses 10 to 20, <laughs> excuse me. Verses 10 to 20 of Philippians 4, and just notice what Paul says as he encourages a church. He says this, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me, giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In Philippians 4, Paul is thanking the Philippian church because they were one of the few churches that entered into a partnership with Paul in giving and receiving. Now, Paul was blessing countless churches, but the Philippians were only one of the few churches that were actually giving back to Paul. And Paul, when he's writing this, he's in a, he's in a prison cell, and he's still continuing to encourage the church, and he's writing to these Philippians saying, thank you. Thank you that you gave to me. And then he goes on this discourse saying, I'm thankful that you gave to me, not that I need anything, because I've learned to be content with nothing and with much. So it has nothing to do with me being content or me actually having more stuff. But he said, I'm thankful for your spirit of giving because it reminds me of Jesus. You're on board with his commandments to love others. You're entering into partnership with the gospel with one of his apostles. And I want to be encouraged by that because you have given to me and you've sacrificed so that you can bless someone who is serving the kingdom of God. Well, how does that pertain to our first self-hurdle? That if I give to others, I might not have. Well, there's a secret at the end of this passage, a promise that Paul gives to the Philippian church. And he says this, he says, based on your partnership, based on the fact that you're sacrificing for me, because that's what you have to do when you love one another, is you do have to give up something that is valuable and needful to you, so that someone else could has it. I mean, that's, that's basically love. You can't really love without sacrifice, not the Christ kind of love. But in Philippians 4.19, listen to this verse. He says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He tells the Philippian church, because you have loved, because you're on board with the commandments of Jesus and seeking to bless those who are serving the kingdom of God, my God, our God, will supply every need you have according to his riches in glory. And I once heard a minister speak on this verse before, and he says, I want you to notice it doesn't say, I will supply every need of yours out of my riches. Because it sounds like, well, if, if he says it that way, then it's just like a 1% of what God has. It's just a little bit. It's just some spare change. But the verse actually says, I will supply every need of yours according to God's riches. Like whatever God has it is yours. He will give you every single Thing you need if you get on board with loving one another. That's a promise that we could take to the bank from Scripture. That's exactly what the context is. They're giving to Paul, therefore they're losing stuff, stuff that they do need, stuff that they do need for their life. And they want to do it because they have the spirit of love towards Jesus and towards his kingdom. And Paul says, well, the greatest thing about God is that when you give to God, he outgives you. And this is not a prosperity gospel like, hey, if you give to God, you'll have a greater home and a greater car because he says he'll give you everything you need, not everything you want. So it doesn't mean, hey, your life will get you know abundant and full of possessions and toys and riches. That's not what he's saying. 
He's saying, if you give to the Lord, you'll have everything you need. And you'll have everything you need according to the riches of God. God will not, God will spare no expense to give you what you need if you will get on board with his commandments. You will not go and want. And if you do go and want, you don't need it. That's basically what the promise is saying. If you are hurting, God will help you. And if you're if you're losing some stuff that really you don't need, then that's that's not a big deal because it, it won't it won't help you serve the kingdom of God. So that's a promise that we could take to the bank, and that's the first self-hurdle we can clear, is that if I give to others, I won't have what I need. And scripture says, Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Give abundantly to those who are in need, and God will outgive you. That's promise number one, and that's how we clear. Self-hurdle number one. Self-hurdle number two is what if I get sick? That's a very specific one to today. I would love to love one another, but you know what happens if I catch the coronavirus? Uh, what happens if something bad happens to me? I don't want to put myself at risk by loving those around me. So I would love to love during the season of 2020, but it's probably not a good idea, right? Why don't I just hunker down and wait till the season is over, wait till the virus is ending, wait till the vaccine comes out and nobody has any fear of the virus anymore, and they'll get back on the ship of love. But we don't have to do that because of what it says in Matthew 10. In Matthew 10, uh, here's some people that Jesus is calling to radically serve his kingdom in the face of persecution. And the question is looming, even though it's kind of a rhetorical question, the question is looming, well, if I serve you in the midst of persecution, won't I get harmed? So that's kind of the nagging question that Jesus is going to approach here. And he says in Matthew 10, in verse 26, he says, have no fear of them, the ones who want to persecute you. Or we can apply that to the coronavirus. He says, have no fear. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim it in the housetops. Basically, shout and proclaim your Christianity. Don't be scared. Why? Don't be, don't be fearful of those who could persecute me, Lord. Don't be scared of a virus. Go recklessly towards your kingdom and loving one another. Really? I mean, what about the virus? And he says in verse 28, do not fear those. In this context, it was people, but we could apply it to today. Don't fear those viruses or anything who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What? He says, don't fear those who can kill the body? Yes. Why, Lord? That's terrifying to think about, someone hurting and killing my body. And he says, I know, but you don't have to be scared of that because the body is temporary. The body is a tent and you have a building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the dwellings. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. And so you don't need to be fearful of, of those who can only hurt your tent because you have an eternal building with God. So don't fear those who can only kill the body, but cannot touch your soul. The coronavirus can't harm my body. People can harm my body but they can't touch my soul. And therefore Jesus says, well, don't fear it then. Why? Because they can't touch your soul. Now, the thing you really should be fearful of is not obeying the commandments of God because that's what he says in verse 20, uh, 28. He says, rather fear him who could destroy both soul and body in hell. If there's two things that you should be fearful of, one can hurt your body and one can hurt your body and your soul for the rest of eternity, which one should you fear? And Jesus is saying, fear the greater. Fear the latter. Fear the one who could destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear God. So you're right now you're all worried about the coronavirus because they can harm my body. He says, no, you should fear the one who could destroy your soul. 
So in this fight between coronavirus and advancing the kingdom of God, he says you should absolutely advance the kingdom of God and have no fear of the coronavirus because A, I'll protect you. We already proved that. I will give you everything you need. And second of all, even if worst case scenario happens, you have a building in heaven, not made by hands, eternal in the dwellings, waiting for you for the rest of eternity. But if you don't love, if you neglect to love, if you withhold obeying the commandments of Jesus, now you're actually trifling with the one who has the authority to destroy both soul and body in hell. And the point of this passage is not for you to tremble because he says right after this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, but not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. And then he says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. In verse 31, he says, fear not, therefore, for you have more value than many sparrows. The point of this passage is not terror. The point of this passage is courage in obeying God because God is the one we should fear if we fear anybody. But the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell is the one who laid himself at a cross so that we could be saved for the rest of eternity. So the point isn't fear. The point is courage in the face of fear because it's not really fear. That's kind of the point of Matthew 10, 28. So therefore, applying it to today, you don't have to be scared of a virus. A virus can't really harm you. All it can do is possibly, and I emphasize possibly, harm your body. But Jesus can harm both both soul and body in hell, and therefore we have no excuse not to advance the kingdom of God through love. And therefore we have cleared self-hurdle number two. Self-hurdle number three is what if I don't get all my stuff done? Okay, love takes time, takes energy. If I give to others, I actually might find myself in trouble with my boss and my family because I won't get all my stuff done. And that's a big problem. So how do we clear self-hurdle number three? If I love, which I would love to do, I think it's a great idea, but then I won't have what I, I won't have the time to get done what I need to get done. So in order to clear self-hurdle number three, we're going to look at Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. Paul speaking again, he says this, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Self-hurdle number three is I might not have the time to accomplish what I need to accomplish if I love. And you come to Romans 13 and Paul is completely changing our perspective by flipping it completely on its end and saying, no, love is your duty. Love is your only duty. When you love, you fulfill the entire law of God. And that is your duty, Christian, to do whatever your God has called you to do. Therefore, every other thing you need to do serves this one thing, whether it's your job or your family or your hobbies or anything, getting groceries, they all serve this one true greatest commandment to love God and love your neighbor. And so he says, love fulfills the entire law. You can't be more productive than when you love. Love seems like something that's going to take away from our productivity. And Paul says the complete opposite. Love is the most productive thing you can do because when you love, you do everything, everything that God demands you do. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine crossing off everything on your list? Not only just today, but for the rest of your life, simply by love? That's what you do. According to scripture, when you love, every single thing that God desires from your life is accomplished. It is that profound. 
So don't let the devil tell you, listen, if you love, you won't have time to get other stuff done. You won't be productive. You'll be in trouble. Everything in your life will go haywire. Scripture says the complete opposite. If you love, God is backing you and you are pleasing to God with your life. And there is no greater productivity or purpose in this world than to please your God. So we have just cleared self-hurdle number three. What if I don't get all my stuff done? When you love, you get everything done. It is the most important stuff in your life to love your neighbor, love your God. And when you do, everything will get done. And the stuff that doesn't get done, it's not as important as love. So we've cleared self-hurdle number three. Self-hurdle number four is, if I love, what if people take advantage of me? I mean, that's, that's possible, right? If I start to love people, they'll start to go, oh, hey, this person wants to be kind to me and give me stuff. Therefore, I'll just keep asking. And while I'll actually find myself in a problem, a predicament that I'm seeking to love someone else, but they're noticing it and they want to take advantage of me and that's not a good situation. So what, what do I do then? What do I do if I love and someone notices that and they start taking advantage of me? Well, we got to go to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to find the solution to this self-hurdle because this comes up. Uh, in the classic Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38, Jesus actually says these words. Listen to these words. He says, in verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone would take you, sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Wow, that passage is pretty clear that Jesus is basically telling us to let people take advantage of us. Honestly, that's, that's basically what he's saying. It's okay. It's okay if you love and they want to take advantage of you. He says, let them. Let them take advantage of you. If someone forces you to go one mile, go to. If someone wants to take your cloak, give them your tunic as well. I think I reversed that. Give them your cloak as well. If you know someone wants to take your stuff and slap you on the cheek, you give them even more. Don't refuse the one who begs from you. Don't, want, don't neglect the one who wants to borrow from you. Give abundantly and let them take advantage of you. Jesus, that doesn't seem like a great plan. Then I'll find myself in a mess. Then they'll just take everything everything they want from me. And then we kind of go back to self-hurdle number one. I won't have what I need. And we've already cleared that hurdle with Philippians chapter four, where God says, no, you will have what you need. You can't outgive God. So if someone wants to take advantage of you, all that's going to happen is God will open the dam, bust the dam, and give you even more surplus. He'll just give you more and more and more because that's the promise of God. So if someone wants to take advantage of you, all that's going to happen is God's going to have to give you more to make up for that. So let people take advantage of you. I mean, that's actually what he's saying because if people take advantage of you, God will notice and he will give you exactly what you need. So that's a commandment. From our Lord Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount, let them take advantage of you. Don't withhold love in any degree. Give, give, give. We have cleared four self-hurdles. We have one more to go. The last one is, <clears throat> I don't want to. I don't want to love. That's, that's a big self-hurdle right there. Love is important, I recognize that, but I don't want to. I'm too tired. I'm too stressed. I'm too unhappy. I don't want to. I don't want to give the energy and the thought and the money that it takes. I don't want to. That's a big self-hurdle. How do we clear that one? 
Well, let's go to John 15, 12 to 17 to clear this hurdle. John 15, 12 to 17 says this. Jesus speaking again, he says, this is my commandment. Let's say that again. This is my commandment. Let's say it one more time. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, again, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Do you notice it? Self-hurdle is cleared very easily when we understand this. It doesn't matter if we want to or not. It doesn't matter. You could, you could apply that to Jesus when we were in our sins. Jesus did not want to die on the cross. We know that because when it was about time for him to die on the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane begging his father to release him from this task. He does not want to go to the cross. Now, yes, it's a tension because he does want to save his people, but he does not want to love in the sense that he has to suffer that greatly for our sins. But he said at the end of his prayer, but not my will, Father, but yours. I didn't come to do my will. I didn't come to secure my life. I didn't come to get what I want. I came to give up what I wanted for the sake of your will, O God. And he's basically telling us the same. Even if you don't want to love, it's a commandment. These things I command you. These things I command you. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I did for you. Christian, you have to. You must because I did it for you. And when you love, you don't love even close to the degree that Jesus loved us. But you do reflect his love. And that reflection of that love is so important for this world to see that it's a commandment. We don't get the choice to say no. So even if we don't want to, we have to change that message and say to our brain, it doesn't matter because it's not about my will. It's not about my desires. It's about the commandment of my God and my Lord who died and spilled his blood for me. And I don't have the choice to say no. I'm honest. I don't, I'm earnest. I don't have the choice to say no. I must love because if I don't love, I'm not with Jesus Christ. I'm not of Jesus Christ. I'm not like Jesus Christ. And that's not an option. So we've cleared five self hurdles in efforts to love one another. And these are actual real things that I sympathize with you to say, these are real problems that I, I don't want to love. I can't love because of these things. And now we've just removed all the distractions, all the excuses by saying, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Even in the season of 2020, because that's what we're dealing with right now. There's so many reasons to not love because we might get sick. We might not have enough. We might get hurt. Someone might take advantage of us. And I don't want to. And we cleared all those hurdles to say, we can do this and we must do this. And let's clear those self-hurdles today. Let's look at those scriptures. Let's think about what they say. And let's get out there and recklessly love others. Because when we do, we aren't reckless at all. We are the most in tune with the most important person and thing we could possibly be, and that is the Lord and his commandment to love one another. It is the most important thing, the important purpose, the important duty that you could possibly find. 
And when we give ourselves to love, we please the God of the universe. We line up right behind Jesus Christ. And we are now strongly advancing to the kingdom of God. I hope this is encouragement to you to get out there and love, especially in this Christmas season. Go crazy. Love as many people as you can. Take as many opportunities as you can. And love as your Lord has loved you. Because he did it for your sake. And he wants to see it from our lives as well. I hope that's a blessing. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Wyoming Valley Church Podcast. Join us for worship Sunday mornings beginning at 1030. We're located in the Dolphin Plaza on Highway 315 in Wilkesbury. Learn more about us at wyomingvalleychurch.org. Wyoming Valley Church, a place where all are welcome.